My name is Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point Church. And we have been in a series uh, we just started a couple weeks ago called Skill for Life. I almost forgot the name of the series, and I came up with it. Skill for Life is the name of the series, and we are going through the book of Proverbs over the entire summer, and we're going to be looking at the subject of wisdom. What is wisdom? What isn't wisdom? How do we become wise? How can we grow in wisdom together? And wisdom is really important because many of the decisions that you and I make on a daily basis have no easy answer. There's really no moral ramifications. We, we need wisdom in those situations. Uh, should I take this job or that job? Should I ask this person out? Should I say yes to this, to this guy? Should I say something in this situation? And if so, what should I say? How should I respond to this person's anger? How should I respond to my children when they do this? Should we spank our children? Should we get the lower or higher deductible? Should I offer a solution or should I just listen? Those are all situations where you and I need wisdom. There's no clear answer. Those are all gray areas. And we live most of life in the gray areas, don't we? I mean, most of life, if you think about it, most of the decisions you make from day to day don't really have a right or wrong answer. And doctrine doesn't always help much, you know? And those are the times when, when you and I need wisdom. We need skill for life, and that's what God calls wisdom. That's what this whole series is about. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at priorities. We're going to sort of examine your priorities and mine. I asked my kids this last week, what is a priority? I was hoping for some interesting and insightful answer, and they had no idea what it was. So... For all the kids in here, I'm just going to tell you what a priority is, in case you don't know what that is. It's sort of a big word. A priority is something that is of first importance. So when you wake up in the morning, kids, what is the priority for you? What is the first thing on your mind when you get up in the morning? It's breakfast, isn't it? For some of you, no, no, I'm off on that. Well, that's what it is for my kids. The first thing they do is they just go right downstairs and help themselves to breakfast. And it doesn't matter if I'm home or if Vicky's awake or not. They just go get right to it. And so that's what a priority is. It's putting something first. It's making something of first importance. That's what a priority is. And you, you, if you want to know what does wisdom have to do with priority, the answer is everything. Wisdom has everything to do with what you make of first importance in your life. It's all about priorities. And the truth is that if our priorities are out of order and we make things of first importance that aren't of first importance, there's always going to be a consequence for that in your life. That's just what's true. That's reality. And so we're going to talk about that today. And the truth is about most of us that we tend to prioritize our lives from the outside in. And most people in the world do that today. We prioritize, we prioritize our lives from the outside in. So we make first importance how we look, what we wear, what we eat, how healthy we are, what kind of car we drive, where we live, what, our, what kind of house we live in, what we do for a living, how much money we make, who our friends are, 
how much money they make, where they live, and all those kinds of things. What we say, what we don't say, how we behave, how our kids behave, those are all things that you and I can see and measure. And so, for most of us, we make those things the priorities. We look at other people and we, we without even realizing it, we encourage other people to make those things of first importance in their life. Kids learn this very early on in their life. They learn from their parents what makes their parents happy and what makes their parents not happy. What will, the kids learn very young how to get what they want from their parents and how to avoid getting in trouble by their parents. And so kids learn very early in life what to say and what not to say to their parents, how to behave and how not to behave in front of their parents. We learn, after that, we learn what to say to get a job and to keep a job, what to say to get a date and to keep a date, what to say to get married and to stay married, what to say to get to the next level in our career. And so we develop sort of a filter in our lives based on what's the most important thing to us and, and how to get what we want from other people. And that's how we tend to prioritize our lives. And I'm telling you, it's all backwards. We've got it all wrong. We've got it all backwards. And, and I fall into this trap often because I have, my wife and I have five kids and so our house is active, and it's a, it's a lot of work just to keep order in our home. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just a lot of work, and so you kind of default into this mode of, hey, don't do that. Do that, don't do that. Do that, don't do that. And, and so we oftentimes just get sucked into this mode of focusing on what our kids do and what they don't do, what our kids say and what they don't say, and just monitoring their behavior and making their behavior the priority when that's not the priority. The way that my kids behave is not the most important thing. The way that I behave, the way that you behave is not the most important thing. And every time that I've misjudged someone in life, it's because I wasn't looking at the right thing. I've misjudged my kids, my wife. I've misjudged myself because I wasn't looking at the right thing. I've misjudged other people. Have you ever known someone who you, you, you thought you knew them, you thought you could trust them, and something happened, and you know they, they, all of a sudden they got greedy or they got, um, they got into trouble or they went off the deep end, and you wonder, how did that happen? How did their life turn around like that? And the reason is because we weren't paying attention to the right thing. And they weren't either. And the same thing can happen to us. And so today we're going to look uh, from the book of Proverbs at what, what Solomon is going to tell us should be the first priority in our lives, of first importance in our lives. We're going to start reading in Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. Proverbs chapter 4 is a really interesting chapter. It, it doesn't mention God at all. And yet this, this, some of the greatest principles in all the Bible are found in Proverbs chapter 4 about how to... A live a life after God's character. And so let's pick up in chap, verse, um, excuse me, chapter 4 of Proverbs. We're going to begin in verse 20. Again, this is Solomon writing to his sons. And he says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. 
for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, if you have a New International Version, the NIV really captures well the attitude behind this, this language here. The NIV says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That's the command. That's the key. That's the priority. Did you hear it? The priority, the first priority, from Solomon to his sons, what he's saying is the most important, is to guard your heart. So what is the heart? What is the heart? What does that mean? The heart in the Bible is a very important word. It's used almost 150 times in the New Testament, over 800 times in the Old Testament. The word translated heart, sometimes it's translated mind, is used, it's the third most popular word in the Bible behind God and Lord. It's used more often than the words translated for love. It's used more than the name Jesus. So we know for sure that God cares a lot about the heart. And what's interesting is that that word is almost never, it's very rarely talking about the physical heart. This heart, the, the, the major organ. It's almost never ta- talked about in that sense. Almost always when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the inner life of a person. The inner life of a person. Well, what does that mean? Is it just talking about emotions, how we feel? Is that what it means? We have this thing today that we call emotional intelligence or emotional IQ, and which means that's the idea that as human beings, we need to learn how to manage and identify our emotions and control them for the good of ourselves and others. That's what emotional intelligence is all about. This is very popular in today's marketplace. They're putting on seminars and teaching and training people, they're, they're saying now that emotional intelligence is the key factor to success more than education. And that's getting close to wisdom, but that's not what, what it means. That's not what the heart is about. It's not just about emotions. It can't be. There's no way it can be. So what is the heart? What do, what do we mean when we talk about the heart? It's, it's got to be more sophisticated than just emotions, than just what we feel. Because the, the biblical authors talk about the heart as they, they translate it, your mind, the way you think, what you do, your actions, your will. It's all three of those things. It's sophisticated. The Bible has the most sophisticated view of the heart that there is. The prophet Jeremiah said in, his, in, his, uh, in the book of Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and no one can understand it. Who can understand the heart but God? Our heart is so complicated and so complex that only God can tell us what it's like, what's in there, and how to protect it. And Solomon gives us here today in in, in Proverbs 4.23, one of the best definitions that there is for the heart, he calls it the wellspring of life. The wellspring of life. What he's saying is that all of life All the issues of life begin in your heart and they work themselves out. In other words, you talk from your heart, you think with your heart, you reason with your heart, 
You work from your heart. You parent with your heart, from your heart. You lead with your heart. You follow with your heart. Everything you do, everything you say starts in the heart. That's where it all starts. It's the wellspring of life. It all begins with your heart. Solomon later on says that only a fool would trust their heart because it is so complex, because it is so deceitful. And we don't have the ability on our own to understand it. Listen to what Jesus said about the heart in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. So Jesus Jesus is saying with Jeremiah, with Solomon, that everything comes from the heart. It comes from within. It's not about what comes inside from the outside. Comes from outside. I'm getting confused up here. I'm confusing myself. It's all about inside out. That's what I'm trying to say. You're with me, right? It's not about outside in. We should never prioritize our lives from the outside in. It's all inside out. Because all of life flows from within. That's what he's saying. Solomon says again later in Proverbs, in Proverbs 27, 19, As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. You know what he's saying? He's saying that you can change your behavior all you want. You can manage your emotions all you want. You can stop doing bad things and start doing good things and change this habit and sort of change this priority around here or there, whatever. But your heart is what defines you. Your heart is who you are. That doesn't change. At least it's not something you can change. You can change. This isn't about behavior modification, in other words. That's not what Christianity is about. That's not what following God is about. It's not about behavior modification. It's about what is in your heart. Because that is where life comes from. That's what he's saying. So if that's true, if that's true, then generally speaking, most people today, and this is, the, this is our problem, Most people today are spending more attention and more effort and more time hiding their heart than guarding their heart, I think. And the reason is because everybody knows that there are things in their heart that if they came out would change their life and the lives of others around them. If we could look into the hearts of a lot of well-rounded, respectable, successful people today, we would be shocked and maybe even repulsed at what we saw. You know, because there are things that live in our hearts that are ugly, that we don't really want there. And so we do everything we can to manage that and to hide it and to keep that hidden. But according to God, there's no way you can do that because your heart is just who you are. It's going to come out. That's what he's saying. And so, 
if everything you do and say comes from your heart, then shouldn't your heart, shouldn't watching and guarding your heart be the priority of your life? Shouldn't it be? I mean, if the heart is really the control center of your personality, of your decisions, of your relationships, of your actions, then shouldn't that be at the top of the list? I'm just asking. Our family has lived in New Berlin for many years now, and you may or may not be surprised to know that there are a lot of violent people who live in New Berlin. I know this because of conversations I've had and conversations I've heard. And so, for example, we, we've gotten to know a lot of people in New Berlin. We hear stories, and someone close to us, a mom who lives in New Berlin, was out taking a walk with her kids one day, and she, she was distracted when she saw... Just up the street, a husband outside with his wife yelling, yelling at her and abusing her right in their yard, physically abusing her right in her yard. Had to call the cops and all of that. It was really messy. This happened in New Berlin right in their subdivision. Uh, my family was riding our bikes just a few days ago. We were riding our bikes to a nearby park to play tennis, and we rode by this one house, and this has happened more than a few times. The door was open, you know, the screen door in the front there, and we overheard a husband verbally abusing his wife, just yelling, swearing. It, it happens all the time. And the, the, you know, the funny thing is that people move out of the city to places like New Berlin to get away from violence. But you can't get away from your, your heart. You can't. We, the biggest mistake we can make is to think that our, our greatest threat is the violence and the sin and the trouble that exists outside of us when really it exists in your heart, in your own heart. The biggest threat to you is not what's out there. It's what's in here. The violence and the sin that exists in your own heart, especially if you live in the suburbs. Isn't that true? I think it's ironic. You know, you can't run away from your heart, and that's why we need to know what's in our heart and how to guard it, how to protect it, how to nurture it. That's what this is about. There was a man in the news a while back who was in prison serving a life sentence. And a reporter got in and they interviewed him and they they, um, logged this in a magazine. And they interviewed this guy and asked him why he did what he did. And I'll tell you what he did in a minute. And he told them a story about when he was a child. He was a young child. His dad had this watch. It was a really expensive watch, and he kept it in his drawer in his bedroom. And one day, when his dad wasn't around, he went in the room, and he took the watch out of the drawer, and he put it on. He was kind of playing with it, and he, it, it fell, and it broke. The watch broke. And he sort of panicked, and he put it back in the drawer, and he didn't say anything. Well, later in the day, his dad you know, he took the watch out, saw that it was broken. He called all the kids together, and he said, he asked them, What happened? How did this happen? And this boy said nothing. He said nothing. He was full of fear and guilt and shame. He said nothing. And then many years later, never said anything to his dad. He was out driving on a dark road, and he hit a kid. And that fear and that guilt and that shame, it never went anywhere. It grew. 
And so his instinct when he hit that child was to leave, was to hide. And that's what he did. He left. He left the scene. The authorities eventually figured it out. It was him. He's in prison the rest of his life. Why? Why did that happen? It's because he never dealt with his heart. He never, he never dealt with the guilt. He never dealt with the fear. And that was just his instinct. And what, whatever's in there, it's just going to come out. All it takes is the, is the right moment, the, the right situation or the wrong situation, a tragedy. And whatever's in there, it's, it's going to come out. There, you don't have a choice. You're going to act on what's in your heart. I learned this early on, one of my earliest memories as a child. I was in the kitchen with my mom. I don't, I don't know how old I was. I was just a little kid. And my mom said something to me, and I don't remember what she said, but it made me angry, and I told her to shut up. And she slapped me. My mom hauled off and slapped me right in the face, and she had never done that before. And we both stood there looking at each other like, what just happened? We were both just standing there in shock. She couldn't believe I said that. I'd never said that before. I couldn't believe she slapped me. My mom's the most gentle person I know. I never told her that again, by the way. But neither one of us had a choice. Because of my anger, I had to tell her that. And because of her fear, she had to slap me. You know? And because that man on that road that night because of his guilt, he had to flee. He had to. Because whatever's in your heart is going to come out eventually. There's no way you can manage it. There's no way you can hide it. Especially, you can't hide it from God. You know that. There's just no way. Whatever's in there is, is going to flow into it's going to affect every area of your life. Just like if some kind of infection or virus gets into your bloodstream, it's eventually going to reach every part of your body. It's going to, it might kill you if, if, if it's not killed first. Your spiritual heart works the same way. What that means is, men, if there is lust in your heart, if there's even a little bit of lust in your heart, that's going to come out in your life. It's going to affect your relationships. It's going to affect your conversations. You may be able to hide it from me and from other people, but it is affecting your life. It will continue to unless it's killed. It will. That's just the way it works. You think you can hang on to a little bit of lust and still you know, have your life and keep it together? It doesn't work. It never will work. It's going to affect every area of your life. And you won't even see it because the heart above everything else is deceitful. It's way more sophisticated than you even know. Envy is a relationship killer. Anger is a relationship killer. All of those things, even in just small amounts, will affect your life in some way without you even knowing it or seeing it because that's just the way the heart is. It's the wellspring of life. And really the question today is, do you care? You know, does it bother you that there are various evils taking residence in your heart? And that those, those sins and those evils are, are just there. They're there. They're not going anywhere. They're there growing and feeding and looking for a way to come out. 
It's like it's alive, really. So listen, nobody in their right mind, if you knew there was a, there was a stranger in your house, or that someone had broken into your house, you know, you got home one night and you, you went to the back door and you saw that it was busted open, would you just close it and go to bed? No, you wouldn't. If you knew that there was a violent person could be in your house, you would not sleep until you knew your house was clear. If you knew that there was a, a snake in your house roaming free, you wouldn't go to sleep. If you knew there was a mouse in your room running loose, would you go to bed? Some of you, if you saw a wasp or a spider on your wall before you went to bed, there's no way you could cl- close your eyes and go to sleep. I know if I saw a spider big enough, I would make sure I had Vicky kill it before I went to bed. There's no way I would be able to fall asleep with that thing crawling around. So if it's true that we're not comfortable sleeping when we know that there's strange, creepy crawlies, you know, running loose in our rooms and our homes, then why would we take a different posture with our hearts? Why would we treat our hearts differently? Why would we let sin dwell in our hearts and just sleep on it if we knew that they posed a threat to our lives? Because you know and I know that every pet snake starts out as a little, really big caterpillar, right? But eventually it's going to be a big 10-foot python, and that's going to pose a threat to your life. And that's the way sin works. It always starts small. You think it's small. You think it's harmless. Just a little bit of lust, a little bit of greed, a little bit of envy, a little bit of anger. I don't need to really control myself all the time. But the truth is, if we don't take evasive action, if we don't guard our hearts with vigilance and watch what goes in and what comes out very carefully, those little pet sins will grow and grow and grow and grow and they will find their way out. They will find their way out into our lives, into our relationships and they will do a lot of damage because that's what sin does. It's violent. All it knows to do is destroy. That's all it knows. And so here's the point. Here's the big idea today. Watching and guarding your heart is way more important than watching and guarding your health, your investments, your bank accounts, your house, your children, your wife, your career. Guarding your heart's more important than all of that. Do you live that way? Do you know what's in your heart? Do you watch what goes in and what comes out? How do you even do that? How do we do that? How can we do that? What is the key? How do we do that as God's people? If this is the biggest priority, then, then what's the next step? And, and rather, than, rather than tell you what to do, or go back into the text this morning, I'm going to do this a little differently. We're going to show you. We're going to show you. Okay? We're going to show you who you are by taking communion together. Because 
really when it comes down to it, communion is the key to guarding your heart. What we do when we take the bread and the cup that represents Jesus' blood and body is we are making a statement together as God's people. We are saying that I am in Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ through faith. His death and his resurrection changed me from the inside out. I have a new heart. I have a heart right now that was remade because of the death of Jesus Christ. I have his spirit living in me. I'm no longer mastered by the desires of my heart. I don't have to give in to whatever my heart says. I don't have to do whatever my heart says. My heart is protected now because the spirit of the living God dwells there. And I've been set free. That's the first step. But it gets better. When we take communion, the, bo- the cup and the, and the bread together, when we take that together, we're saying that we're a family. That through the blood of Jesus, we are adopted together into God's family. And Jesus Christ is our elder brother. And now you are my brother and you are my sister And when God tells me to guard your heart, he doesn't say, good luck, you're on your own. This is a family affair. Just like it was in Proverbs. In Proverbs 4, uh, verse 1, we we start by reading, um, Solomon is telling his sons, look, this is what my dad taught me, and I want to teach it to you. Wisdom is best passed on in a family from generation to generation to generation. That's how it happened then. That's how it happens now. That's how it happens in the church. In the church, we share wisdom together. Older men teach younger men. Older women teach younger women. Those who are more wise teach the less wise. We teach our children together. We grow in wisdom together. And we need each other to do that. We need each other to guard our hearts. We we desperately need each other. I need you to tell me if you see something in me you, you see just a glimpse of something, of, of anger or shortness or greed or envy or lust or whatever it is. Somebody has to tell me that because I'm probably not going to see it. I might not even know it's there. I need my family. I need my family to help me. We need each other to guard our hearts. And that's what we're saying when we take communion together. We're saying we are a, we're a family because of Christ. We're in Christ together through his shed blood. That's, that's what it's about. So that means we don't have to hide from each other. We don't have to hide from each other. Look, I know how it is. You know, just like you learn what to say and what not to say to, to get a job and keep a job, you do the same thing in church. You learn what to say to be accepted in a church, to be accepted in a small group, to be liked by people. But that's, that's, that's backwards, We've got to be honest about what's in our hearts together. That's what we say. We say what's in our heart. We, we confess to each other when we need to, to the right person. And then we forgive. We accept because Christ has accepted us, and we forgive, and God protects our heart. That's the key.